Welcome to Teacher Zion Podcast. Hey guys, it's a Hawaiian shirt Friday, so I hope you have your Hawaiian shirts on. And if you don't, uh, uh, you know, by all means, run out and buy one right away. Um, so anyway, uh, I didn't get a podcast out this morning like I normally do. Uh, just insane busy schedule this week. Um, it just wasn't a real opportunity to even, even begin to work on it. I have a meeting this evening with an apostle of uh, the denomination I'm still a member of. Uh, so prayers for that. Um, <clears throat> I did want to get out just a quick, um, you know, just touch base with everybody. Uh, so this is going to be totally winged and uh, I don't have any notes or anything. Uh, so this could be disastrous, but uh, we'll see how it goes. In any case, um, I did want to touch on a couple of things and uh, maybe a couple comments uh, that I've seen recently or discussions that I've had. I did have a question uh, asked of me in regards to uh, the word from the Lord about an apostolic confrontation that the restoration is headed for. And when I say restoration, I mean that to define all Book of Mormon believing institutions, uh, churches, uh, the restoration people. Uh, it was asked of me what that means. And so if you ask the Lord, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, just tune into him right now, actually. Just tune into the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to pray. Just take a moment to be aware of his presence. You know, he's, he is literally everywhere. He's all around us, uh, above us, below us, through us, around us. You know, David wrote in the Psalms, where can I go, O Lord, that you are not? And I can go to the highest mountain peak and you are there. And I can descend to the lowest dungeon. And you are there. Where is it, O oh Lord, that I could go that you are not? You know, that is a majestic understanding that one of the things that Joseph Smith uh, received uh, early on, and I believe is supported in the scriptures, is that Christ is in and through all things. And so I love that because God for me is not just sitting on a throne up in heaven somewhere in an unattainable place place that I must ascend to in order to stand in his presence. But you know, the, the entire gift, the purpose of his going away, now he could have stayed, right? Jesus could have stayed in his resurrected body, but then his ministry would have been limited, right? And so would ours. And so we'd be dependent on him for things. We would look to him for everything. We would have to go to wherever he was to speak with him. But when Christ ascended, he sent his spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is the mind of Christ. And because it dwells in us, or hopefully it does, then because the mind of Christ is in us, we can communicate to him at, at any time. And so right now, as you take a moment and you just become aware of, uh, I, I, I no longer invite the Holy Spirit to come and be with us in our worship. I don't do that at church. I, I try to get people to think about that differently. Um, do you think that there's ever a time where he's not there? I know we like to talk about like, well, I really felt the spirit there. 
And well, it just seemed like the spirit left. You know, what's happening is we are, we are sensing within ourselves how the Holy Spirit is either investing itself into something or not. But at no time does the Holy Spirit completely depart from someplace or someone or, wow, you're, you're in a world of hurt. Um, where are you going to go that he's not? Where is it that you can go that God cannot see you, that he cannot hear you? His presence is all around us. And so that is the thing about the Holy Spirit. And yes, we can feel if he's grieved or not. But instead of inviting his spirit in, you know, think about this. When you come together, just ask the Lord to help everyone there to sense his spirit and to recognize that he's here already and to tune in with his spirit. And as we do that, think about that and ask the Lord. What is it meant? Because this was a word that was given to a brother of mine. And it was by the voice of the Holy Spirit. And maybe I don't have a, the full understanding of that. Um, just because the Lord speaks to us doesn't mean we always understand fully. But if you ask the Lord yourself, what does it mean? If this is true, O Lord, first of all, is it true? And if it is true, and I believe it is. I, as I said in the previous podcast, I... I received a confirmation of it when I heard it. I've now heard it a, a couple of times. And I received confirmation both times. And so, asking if the Holy Spirit, is it true? And then, what does it mean that the restoration is headed for an apostolic confrontation? You know, the apostles, what are they? And this is something that I struggled with for a long time. I know something that hit me. It just struck me years ago when I was in my late 20s and I was ordained a teacher and I was studying the scriptures. And, you know, boy, the, the Holy Spirit would just answer. It seemed like any question I would ask just about uh, some answers came later. But the Lord was eager to teach. And I believe he's eager to teach all of us. And sometimes we got to ask the right questions first. And there's got to be the right reason for those questions. But if it is the right time, we will receive those answers. And he is eager to share those things. You know, um, one of the things that I, I recognized right off the bat that he was teaching me is that there are no true apostles on the earth today. Or at least there wasn't at that time. Perhaps there are now. But we may not know who they are or may not know their names. But it was revealed to me, and that was a bit shocking because I had been taught that the RLDS church is the one true church, that we have the one true priesthood, the one true authority, the other groups do not have it, and all other Christians do not have it. Well, the Lord uh, very quickly challenged that notion. As soon as I was ordained uh, as a teacher, he began to show me others outside of the restoration completely. Uh, who walked in authority. Some of whom he saw fit to reveal had, the best way I can put it is, more authority in their pinky finger than what was contained in all of the priesthood that was in our particular church or congregation. And uh, as I said, that's a shock. Um, and it wasn't just the Holy Spirit saying it. It wasn't just me thinking it. But even the demonstration of it, and it wasn't any falsehood. Uh, I have a number of testimonies, and I've told one where a man spoke directly to me out of the blue. 
gave me a word of the Lord. It was not vague. He pointed to me. He didn't say someone in this room is experiencing this. He stopped right mid-sentence and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he gave me an answer. And it was the right answer. It was the one the Holy Spirit had been trying to share with me. And, uh, you know, you don't walk around without any authority when you're receiving visions of the last days, when you are seeing the place of Zion and you're not even a restorationist. When you see images of the gathering and you're warning people that they need to come out of her, my people, when you're warning them to come unto Christ with their whole heart and that there is a place of safety and refuge in these last days. You don't get that because you don't have any authority. These are men that are called. And so, you know, that's, that's a big thing to find out you're not the only one with authority. And in fact, perhaps there are others out there with greater authority. And so also then to find out what I understood is that there were no true apostles. Now there were good men who maybe were called apostles, um, who tried to work as apostles and, uh, seventies. Sure. That's what they call evangelists, by the way, in the Bible. But, uh, you know, I don't doubt, uh, I'm not trying to shed any, uh, shade, I guess, on anyone who's ever been called to an apostle. I have a dear brother, um, by the same name as me, Doug, uh, Doug Virgil. Uh, he was called as a, an apostle in our church. If there was ever a person that I felt was an apostle, he was surely it and as close as I had seen. And yet the Lord showed me that, uh, in spite of the fact that yes, he was called. Yes. That the Lord had worked with him in this capacity as we understood it, that there are no true apostles, uh, not yet, or perhaps they are now being called out. And so what is an apostle though? And here's the thing that uh, after much time studying this out, I learned is what an apostle is, is someone who was called by Christ directly in person. And when I say in person, I mean stood before him and uh, saw the nail prints in his hand, uh, the spear in the side, and stood before the resurrected Christ. Not a dream. And not just a vision where they saw Christ, but Christ literally standing before them and calling them and sending them forth. And this is where the apostle is. One who is sent forth, sent forth by whom? Christ directly. And so the apostles, the early apostles, what they were, were witnesses of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. And they were called to do a particular work and they were sent by him. And it was astonishing to me later on in church history when I found out that when the 12 were originally called in the church, didn't appear to be any actual revelation. Uh, none of these men were called by revelation. None of them were called by God. Uh, they were selected uh, by a committee, I guess. I think there was two men appointed. But you know, Oliver Cowdery, I don't always agree with everything. I know he at one point broke fellowship, broke faith with Joseph Smith. He stood with the other first elders of the church who were in disagreement. And he came back later, you know, and I think bowed to the pressures of Sidney Rigdon and people like them uh, so that he could have a place in the church and, and feel like he could do something. 
And of course, there was the calls to obey the prophet. You know, we may, we need to obey the prophet, uh, regardless of whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Apparently, but because if it's a prophet, then they can't do any wrong, and this isn't scripturally true. But you know, when they went to ordain these apostles, after they did so, Oliver Cowdery gave instruction, and I believe by the Holy Spirit, I believe it says he prophesied to them. Basically, he says, and you can go find this if you. If you say Oliver Cowdery, uh, Oliver Cowdery's counsel to the 12 or something, words to that effect, if you Google that, you'll find it. In any case, he let them know that their calling was not yet complete, that they were not truly apostles, that they were to seek the face of God with everything they had until they came face to face with them. Now, if you come face to face with God and you're still on this earth, I think we know what that means. You have seen the face of Christ. You have come face to face with him. And they said, you're not an apostle until you've had that encounter with him and be changed by him. And amen, I, that is absolutely the truth. And so, you know, what does it mean to have an apostolic confrontation? Well, I think it'll look a lot like what it looked like when Jesus and his disciples uh, confronted the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes. Um, we have to have a confrontation between true authority and feigned authority or a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. Denies actively, consciously? No. It denies the power thereof because you're claiming to have true authority. You're claiming the church itself is the true authority. And yet, and yet, where are the signs? I'm not sign seeking, but the Lord himself said, these signs shall follow them that believe. We're not even talking about ordained ministry even. These signs shall follow them that believe. One of those signs is speaking in tongues. Okay. And the apostle Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I think this is part of the equipping ministry. The equipping ministry has to help equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. It has to help them to know how to attain and receive the gifts and work in them. They need to give them understanding. Now tell me, how can you teach the gifts if you don't yourself understand or walk in them? And so deny the power thereof. When you claim that you are a one in authority, and yet you do not walk in the signs and in the power of true authority, then is this not denying power there? If you're saying, yeah, I have all the authority. Uh, it just doesn't, apparently I don't need it. The world isn't in need of it, I guess. Um, what? I mean, this is a measuring stick. It's a thermostat. It's a thermostat that gauges where we are. And if we, place in honesty where we are spiritually i think we fall in a category of some sort of unbelief don't we because these signs really aren't among us yes they they trickle in here and there a bit but true authority like we see in the scriptures are not seen and we know that jesus said that these things and and greater shall you do because you'll have the holy spirit so if we don't, is it because the church is missing 
the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So what does an apostolic confrontation look like? I think if you ask the Lord that question, I think if you close your eyes and think on it, ponder, meditate, I think you're going to have a pretty good idea. I think the Lord can help us with that. That word was given a couple times now. I believe it completely and I know it will happen. It has to happen. It has to happen because we have entire churches that claim to have the one true authority to have priesthood and it has to be confronted. I also wanted to share with you just a little bit on the mysteries of God. Um, there's been something in my heart for some time now. I've never, I don't think, put it to paper or really worked it all out. But it's been on my heart and my mind for actually some years now. The Holy Spirit getting at me. And I'm going to start this with a little testimony. I'm going to tell you that my least favorite book in the Book of Mormon when I first began my journey with the Lord was third Nephi. And here's why I found it boring. Now that may seem outrageous, maybe blasphemous. Um, why did I find it boring? Well, because, um, you know, we are trained to hunger after these mysteries. We love a good mystery. We're really borderline, if not all out Gnostic. That's what Mormonism is. Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a form of heresy. And it, I don't just say that because that's what Christianity says, or that's because the early church called it a heresy. I say that because that is what has been revealed to me over the years, and that I've had to confront my own heresy and Gnosticism. And because of latter revelations that have come forth in the church, some from Joseph, I'm afraid, but there are revelations that entered into the church and after him and just built on these things that are not from the Lord, I have to say. They're not from the Lord. Now, I know some may believe that Joseph did no wrong, never gave a false revelation ever, but history does not bear that out. He himself admits it. All of the men who were with him in the early church will tell you he gave false revelation at least once or twice. Um, it's not impossible. God chooses the weak things of this earth. He does it on purpose. And well, he's not picking someone so that we will then rely upon them for all things. No, we must go to God. We, we need to question. We need to seek additional witnesses. It says how many times in the mouth of two or three witnesses, in the mouth of several witnesses, in the mouth of multiple witnesses, why do we imagine that God would set it up that we must hear the words of one man only? You know, there is one prophecy about a prophet whom the Lord will raise up. And that prophet we must hear. And either it's to life or to death. And do you know who that prophecy is about? It's about Christ. Christ is the prophet of the church. And there may be prophets, plural, and there are, or should be, and will be. But there's only one, the prophet, and that is Christ. 
So, you know, I wanted the mysteries. I wanted the deeper things. I thought I already understood the gospel. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that down. Like, I've heard that my whole life since I was a child. Bible stories. Every Christian knows this. Where are the goodies? You know, I preferred some other books. Um, and so, and for a while, I was sort of into the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, because I was looking for these deeper things. I wanted the deeper things. I want to talk to you a little bit about the mysteries, because I'm going to tell you right now, and this I know just of a surety of the Spirit of God, <laughs> that we Mormons, and I, when I say Mormon, LDS, RLDS, I don't care what stripe you are, whatever ite you are, we have been trained for Gnosticism. We have been trained to essentially disregard the simple and plain doctrine and gospel of Jesus Christ and imagine, and this, this is a lie of the adversary, imagine that we have it down. Now, I'm going to challenge you on that. I guarantee you, I almost can guarantee just about every single one of you, unless I have yet to maybe run into the person who has truly achieved it. None of you are following the gospel of Christ. Not all of it, just some of it. And then some of that is poorly done as well. And we admit that freely usually, right? But there's aspects of the gospel we don't want to do. We don't want to do it. And nor do we want to believe it. It's right there in the scriptures. You got four different witnesses in the Bible. Then you got another one in the Book of Mormon. We still don't want to do it. We want to have the right to defend ourselves. You know, if someone sues us, we're not going to just hand them over whatever they want. And we're going to surely take up the sword and we're going to fight to defend our lives. But what did Christ say? I don't care what the Nephites did. Did you see the condition the Nephites were during almost the entirety of the Book of Mormon? God said that he would protect them. He said, I will bring the Lamanites against you and stir them up to bring you back to repentance if I have to. And so we can talk about the right to defend your life and all that. But what did Jesus say? Yeah, yeah, let's make an excuse for it. Let's defend. No, we can defend. our. Yes, you can defend your lives. Will you be justified defending your life? Sure. In the eyes of the law, yeah. Will you be condemned? Probably not. But you're living a lesser law, you know. You're not living the rule of the kingdom. You are not living what some would call the celestial law. I'm just going to simply call it the gospel of Christ. I'm going to call it the law of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so what are we seeking for? Do we want to seek what Christ has asked us to attain, which he has made the way for us to obtain? Or are we seeking for something less? I don't want to seek for something less. And I know it's a hard path. That's why he says it's a hard path. And few there are that, that, that get into it. And I see that's true. I go into any church, and if I simply read certain aspects of the gospel and say, now, what does this mean? How do you apply this to today? I will find excuses for why we don't have to do it. Okay? So the other thing is, I'm looking for mysteries, and that's just opening the door for the adversary to feed me something. Okay. 
let me say something about mysteries here. This is what I wanted to get to. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling a little bit. I don't have a script or anything to follow. The Apostle Paul speaks of one of the greatest mysteries that he ever came upon. And that mystery was Christ in me. What I've come to understand, what I believe the Holy Spirit has been trying to show me for some decades now, is that I don't got the gospel. I don't have it down. I don't have his doctrine fully down. I'm now beginning to see it for the first time. And what I recognize is that we thought we were better than all the other Christians. We thought that, you know, they got all this salvation stuff. They're always talking about salvation, but we're better than that. We've got salvation, but let's move on to the greater things, right? Isn't it about the greater things we're always talking about? And so there's even scripture to that effect about greater or lesser. And, you know, this is one of these things I think we need to go back and take our restoration spectacles off, take our LDS, our, our LDS spectacles off and read the word of God again for the first time. Because the greater things and the mysteries of God are right there on the pages of the words of Jesus. They're right there. You don't have to go very far. And if you think that we're ready to talk about what happens in the hereafter, we're sadly mistaken. All we need to know is what's taking place right now and what we need to do because we are not ready. We're not prepared. And what I've discovered is right in the gospel itself are mysteries. We think or thought we understood those things. You read these plain words on the page. Yeah, I got that. I got that down. I've heard that my whole life. Read it again. Contained within those words are mysteries. To obtain the mystery of what it is to have Christ in you. That it is he and not you who works. To obtain the mysteries contained in the gospels and in the law of love. And what that does and what the effect of that is on evil. What the effect of that is on your fellow man to walk in it to walk in the spirit of christ not in our own spirit mimicking it not us just being religious not us just going to church and doing our church activities and speaking to each other and saying hey brother so-and-so sister so-and-so good to see you we're praying for you you know these can just be words when words flow from the heart because of a mighty change in our heart, then we begin to be true Christians. We do not, I'm convinced, know or understand the gospel and the doctrine of Christ. I think we see this much and we have not probed its depths. When we climb the mountain of the Lord, as we climb higher and higher, what do we find? Not Gnostic teachings, not new age teachings, not baptism for the dead or uh, exaltation of man or whatever. No, 
The higher we climb, the closer we come to the face of God, and that is Christ. And the higher we climb, the deeper we swim in his word, in the word of his gospel and his doctrine, the truth that he is. The higher we climb, not necessarily just the more knowledge we attain, that's just a small part of it. The more deeply we come to know God, the more deeply we commune with him. The higher on the mountain that we climb, the more we are changed, the more we are transformed. And Satan has uh, done a number on the saints and getting them to focus on the mysteries and when in truth what we need to do is go back to the basics so someone i know that is a, a great spiritual figure i i won't mention names but he's had very many clear visions that are true and of the lord and he was taken to heaven and there he spoke with an angel and the Lord was present. And that angel said, you need to know something. The church as it is on earth right now, we don't even recognize it in heaven. It doesn't look like anything of what the true spiritual church is. It's unrecognizable. Your worship is unrecognizable. And when I first heard that, I just thought that that can't be. I mean, how, is that far off? It's like not even recognizable as Christianity. It's not even recognizable as the body of Christ on earth. And the longer I've gone on this earth and matured, as you can see, um, I believe it. And it wasn't that long ago that our congregation was uh, doing a joint worship with another congregation, just some beautiful people. And uh, they had a, every morning they have like a priesthood gathering uh, early before the rest of the church starts where all the priesthood come together and they sort of do a worship and, and talk and things. And the Lord spoke to me and I spoke to them and I said, if we had any idea just how far off the mark we are right now we would be discouraged but the lord does not want to discourage but encourage us so long as we are on the path so long as we are climbing scaling that mountain to reach him now if we think that we have reached the goal if we think we are where we need to be if we imagine in our heart that we are truly walking in authority, if we really imagine or think that we have the mind of God, that we know what his thoughts are, and we don't walk in the powers of heaven, then we're fooling ourselves. And so we need to press on. So the mysteries of God, they're far different. You know what my favorite book in the Book of Mormon is now? <laughs> it's... 
It's third Nephi. And man, just the clarity of which Jesus speaks these things and, and so clearly puts it in perspective where the law is now and how he has fulfilled it completely and how the only law that we're to, to now walk in, he says, are the commandments that I will give you at this time. Nobody knows that. That's the commandments to follow. Every time someone talks about following the commandments of God, you know where they're at? They're in the Old Testament. <laughs> they're at the Ten Commandments or in the Old Testament. They're looking at the old law or they're looking at the new law. You know, we had a brother. Uh, he's left our congregation now. And I'm sorry to say, but there's just a lot of legalism in his heart. And there's a lot of the saints that have this. And it's a religious spirit. And I speak of the religious spirit as one who is an authority of understanding it because I walked in the religious spirit for some years and I thought I was listening to the Holy Spirit. I thought I was doing God's will, but I wasn't. There are spirits out there that mimic the spirit of the Lord. And, you know, I'm trying to teach people to rely on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. I need to get back to that and rely on it because we've got stuff that's problematic. And his comment was, well, you know what the Doctrine and Covenants is? It's the law to the church. So let me get this straight. There was a law in place. And as our scriptures tell us, the law was against us. It was a curse. Uh, Jesus came and took that curse away. He did away with it. He fulfilled it. We don't follow the law anymore. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry to say for those who still try to follow the law, he literally brings into question your very salvation. He says it's in jeopardy. And that if you even try to follow one part of the law, you are now bound to all of it. So you can't trim the corners of your beard. You can't get a tattoo. You can't whatever. All the things. The food laws. You're bound to all of them. And if you're bound to all of them, then you cannot get salvation through Christ. So you're all about the law. Well, since the law has been fulfilled and the law never could ever truly justify us, at least not forever. Who's your high priest then? Because Christ already took care of that. So are you going to get another high priest and sacrifice some animals? What are you going to do there? And so Christ himself says, it is now fulfilled. It's been done away with. It has an end in me. Read it. Third Nephi. The law, therefore, has an end in me. It has been fulfilled. Now, Jesus then says, now what you are to do is follow my commandments that I give to you at this time. Read it for yourself in third Nephi. So what are the commandments that we as the church, the body of Christ, are to fulfill? The ones that we're to follow? Well, there's only, only one. And that is the gospel and the doctrine of Christ. That is the only law that we're to, to follow. That's it. That is his commandments to us. That's what he gave them. They're written in 3rd Nephi. If you don't want to believe the Bible, go to 3rd Nephi. It's the book that's supposed to make sure... Everything that maybe isn't perfectly plain in the Bible is completely plain and there's nothing missing. 
So you tell me what's missing from it. And nowhere does Christ say, but later on I'll give you further instructions or maybe another law. And so let me get this straight. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to do away with the law, to save us from it, to bring us into relationship with Christ so we don't have to rely on priests and fallible or in, you know corruptible priesthoods, but we could come directly to him and his salvation is from him alone. No one else, not from the church, from him, okay? But now what... God called Joseph Smith to create another law over top of the gospel. Another law, a book of law. You know, last time I talked about the dream I had about the storage units. That the restoration people, as a, as a people, are in these storage units. The Lord wants to prepare us so we can come out of those and come back into the household of God. Now, I've been to a few outings to storage units where someone went to get their stuff. And you know what? A lot of times when things end up in storage units, they were kind of put there in a rush. And But now you're going to move stuff into a house or maybe someone else's house or maybe a smaller place. What you find out is uh, oftentimes there are just things that they didn't really need to or want to keep necessarily. It just got put in there. Okay. And so when they're bringing this stuff out, there's the stuff you're actually going to bring with you. And then there's the stuff that's going to the dumpster. So I'm going to submit to you that some of us have some things that we just need to throw out. If we're going to come out and come into the household of God, we're going to have to leave the trash behind. We're going to have to leave the false traditions and the false beliefs, the false doctrines behind now, it's really hard to get people to let go of something and to try to get convince everybody to, to be all on the same page and say what is in and what isn't out. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Let's leave the job of what needs to be thrown out between the person, the individual, and God. Okay. What is it that we can agree on as a people? so that we may be unified in him without having to tell people they can't read a certain book anymore or they must throw something out. Can we come together? The Lord said we have to be one. How can we come together? How can we be one? If we're not his, we have no hope. If we're his, we're going to be one. How can we be one when we, we have things we don't agree on? What are the things we agree on? Hey, do you believe the Bible, friend? Brother, sister, do you believe the Bible? I do. Do you believe the Book of Mormon? I do. Now, when we get into the Doctrine and Covenants or some other books, we get into problematic areas, don't we? So what if I say to you, you can keep those books. Um, I'm not going to tell you you can't study them or whatever, but when we come together... The expectation is that the rest of us may not agree upon some of those things that are written in there, and we're not going to make those a focus. Would you agree that what is contained in the Bible and the Book of Mormon is sufficient, that we can come to Christ and have a relationship with him that is so powerful, so deep and profound, if we would just 
do the things that are written in there and actually be his people. And we could hear his voice and walk in the power of heaven. That those things won't sort themselves out, that the Lord will be able to take care of that for us. I know he will. Now, if you think that you need the Doctrine and Covenants or that you need these other things to get to that point, then I got to ask you, how did the Apostle Paul do it? And how did Peter do it? How did anyone in the Book of Mormon do it? They didn't even have the New Testament. <laughs> they didn't even have the New Testament. They just had the teachings of Christ. Okay. Um, how did they do it? Because they came to him with everything. They sacrificed everything. They gave it up for relationship with him and they followed him. Okay. They didn't follow a book. They weren't following some other prophet. They're going to him. He's the only one that can change us. Jesus didn't say, now, if Joseph Smith resides in you and you reside in Joseph Smith, then you can do all things. No. Jesus says, I abide in you and you abide in me. So I don't think, I don't know if I even really got across what I wanted to do about mysteries. What I'm suggesting is go to third Nephi or the Bible, New Testament, read the writings of Paul, read the gospels and read them for the first time. How do we do that? We're going to have to ask God to help us, right? I've got a question for you. What if I just ponder this as a, what if, okay. A what if scenario, what if we could forget completely wiped from our mind, all memory of any other book of scripture and any other doctrines that have ever been taught in the church, completely wiped from your memory. And all you had was a knowledge of the Bible and the book of Mormon, you know, the two records that God said he would put together to confound all the lies and set us on the straight course and give us what we needed. Right. And imagine that for a moment. What would that be like? What would the church look like? What would we be like? What would that be like? If we could forget all that we know or think we know and then be retaught beginning at the, at the beginning. And make the main thing the main thing. What would that be like? You know, there's another thing too. I just wanted to mention uh, uh, friends of the podcast that uh, emailed me recently. We're talking about Doctrine and Covenants uh, section. It's going to be different between RLDS and LDS. And I don't have it in front of me, but I'll, I'll put a scripture up here. Or over here, over here, somewhere. Anyway. Um, and basically it says something words to the fact of that we should not have to be commanded in all things, but be anxiously engaged in many good works. Um, and because we have the power within us to, to do many good things. It seemed to them there was something problematic about that. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to believe about this. I'm raising the question. I thought it was interesting that they raised the question because this is a question that has been raised in my mind for probably at least a decade or more. And I'd never come to a full conclusion on it yet. So I talked.
tossed it over to a couple of friends of mine the other day to chew on. And they had come to a similar conclusion without, I mean, coming to a full conclusion necessarily, but they themselves felt and thought many of the same things I did, that there are some problematic things there. And that perhaps this is, well, is this a poison that seeped into the early church? There's definitely truth there. Do we have the power to do many good things without being commanded? It seems like one of those things that if you look at Satan and how he works, I have made the argument in the past that if you brought charges against Satan for telling a lie in the garden, could you successfully prosecute him? I would make the argument, if you go and read what he says, that he doesn't really lie exactly. He's essentially telling Eve the truth, but the way it's said and just the right slant to it might cause you to go down the wrong path. And so when I look at that revelation, be anxiously engaged. You know what I read into anxiously engaged? I mean, I, I get into being busy. Be very busy. Hurry up. Let's do this. Like, we got to be doing this. I'm anxious about it. Like, we got to do enough good works to get into heaven or something. And I believe many of the saints have been anxiously engaged in trying to do many good works. And it says, hey, because you've got the power in you. You don't need to be a command. You've got the power to bring about many good works. You know, there's an old saying. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I'm going to tell you, I have personally experienced and watched both times that have affected me personally and many more times that have affected other people in very negative ways where I watched people, some quite often priesthood people uh, or even not priesthood who were busily engaged trying to bring about some good thing in the church um, and it was devastating because they did it according to their wisdom. They did it according to their own thoughts and what they thought, their interpretation of things, their interpretation of various doctrine. Okay. And if you're anxiously trying to do many good works, don't need to be commanded. Just going to do them because you have the power yourself. It's just built within you to do a lot of good things. Okay. You know what? If I see a brother and sister needs a drink of water. I'm going to give him a drink of water. If I see someone in need, I'm probably going to help if I can. But you know what else I'm going to do sometimes in those situations? I mean, you need a drink of water, whatever. Yeah, you got it. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to ask questions, but always we need to be turning to the Lord and every situation, Lord, is there something you want done here? Lord, what's, what is going on with this situation? There have been times where I thought I should go and help, or I've been asked to help. Uh, there are times when there was a need in the church. There's a need for someone to do this role. There's a need for something to be done. So therefore we need to step up and do it. Okay. I, I can, I can appreciate the go-to attitude, but there had been times when I've asked the Lord and he said, no. There's been times when he has 
told me to refrain. Jesus is our example, and he said, I do nothing but what the Father shows me to do. So when I compare that to the idea or latter-day revelation that you don't need to be commanded. Now, if you're sitting on your butt and you see people hurting and uh, you're just like, well, God hasn't commanded me. That's a problem. But neither does that mean you jump up and just do whatever and run around. And just be constantly doing whatever the church tells you to do or the church says you ought to do or what you've been taught is the right thing to do. We need to stop and take a moment to ask the Lord. So if you're getting up off the couch to go help somebody on the way there, be praying about it. What does the Book of Mormon say? They prayed over their animals. They prayed over their crops. They prayed over their family. They prayed over everything. They prayed continually. We're commanded to pray continually. And yet here we are being told Hey, be anxiously engaged. Don't ask God. Don't need to stop. Don't need to get commanded. Don't need to hear a word from him. You've got the power within you. Just go and do it. But are we paving the way to hell? And, and by that, I mean doing many things and not even having a real relationship with him or knowing what he wanted. Who are these people who are standing before the Lord and saying, Lord, we... But we did all these things in your name. You realize these are people who confessed his name, right? They obviously were doing things in the name of the Lord or in the name of the church or whatever. It's not like these are complete heathens. Pagans aren't going around doing all these things in Christ's name. It should be a warning to us. Yeah, I, I find it problematic. I'm not going to tell you what to believe about that. Maybe we just don't understand what it's saying, but something feels off. You pray about it. I'd like to hear what you think. Maybe you've studied this out. Maybe you received counsel from the Lord on this. Put it in the comments here on YouTube. We could have a discussion. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. So, looks like I might have an hour's worth of material. Maybe I'll cut it down a little bit. Um, I know I'm just sort of winging it. I apologize if you don't feel like this is quite the same quality as what you're used to. But I just wanted to uh, just take a moment um, because I, I didn't really have anything to put out this week yet. Uh, I have a number of people that I'm trying to schedule and set down a date with to do some interviews. Well, and not just so much interviews, but I'm really just uh, looking for some people to engage in conversation on some topics, kind of like things that we talked about today and other things. I want to hear the perspective of others. And in any case, appreciate everyone here. Uh, we're still working on the the gathering, trying to get some details on that. Um, if you haven't seen already, there's a couple videos where we talk about it. We have the dates on there. Um, specifically, um, yeah, we're, we need prayer warriors. I mean, literally, if you are a prayer warrior and someone who would pray for others, like, I need to know that. Like, we need to 
put people to work. So yeah, we want to worship and enjoy and fellowship with each other. But also I think there's going to come a time where people that are going to need prayers. And if you're, if you have experience with deliverance ministry and dealing with spiritual uh, burdens and, and helping people to be free through Christ, I need to know about it. Let me know. Uh, musicians, singers, like, uh, we're still looking for more. Um, we have one or two uh, that are interested. Um, we still need uh, more people. Um, we're, we need help with, well, are you a sound guy? Do you like to run the mixer uh, and the mics and all that? And are you good at that? We could use you. Um, there's lots of things we could use. And, and most importantly, just to, to have your presence and to fellowship with you and for, uh, to share, I think Saturday afternoon, um, I think we're going to have a couple of small gatherings. We had to get together and talk on some topics and small groups, but then I'd also like us to maybe even start out on Saturday at some point, maybe in the morning or in the afternoon, I want to give everyone an opportunity, you know, maybe just like five minutes each, um, to go to the mic or to have a mic and just tell me your story. Tell everyone there, your story, you know, a brief version of it. Tell them what you're going through, what you're struggling with, where you're coming from, and and what you're hoping for, and how how we can pray for you. I mean, that's what Moroni chapter six talks about in the Book of Mormon. It says that uh, when the church came together, you know, they came together often to talk about the welfare of their souls. We need to get to know each other. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I know I need help. Um, I'm not a good organizer, so hopefully we'll have some people helping me organize in any case. Uh, I think we'll try not to get this too long here. Um, I just wanted to reach out and I hope everyone here has a great weekend. Um, I pray that you, you have someone you can worship with or fellowship with on some level, uh, maybe this Sunday or Saturday, if you're on the seventh day, you like to do that. Or if you don't have anyone close by, you know, maybe your family, does a worship. Um, we have online communities. We got our Facebook group stuff, you know, let's pull together. Let's strengthen, you know, even before we are gathered physically, we can gather spiritually. Let the Holy Spirit just gather us together and then knit our hearts together in love. Let us get to know each other. Let us pray for one another. You know, I just, I almost let, wish there was like a, an email list or maybe, maybe use the Facebook group. I know not everyone uses Facebook, but uh, just a place where we could put down prayer requests and we could share with each other what we need prayers for. We need to pray for one another. And uh, in any case, thank you for your support of this channel. YouTube was showing me that uh, about half, less than half the people that actually watch these videos are subscribed to the channel. Um, if you have a Google account or a Gmail account or whatever, if you go to watch one of my videos, if you sign into YouTube with your Google account, because it's, it's just Google, they own YouTube, um, you can hit the subscribe button and, or, and like. Now, the reason for that, it doesn't get me anything. Um, I'm not uh, monetized or anything. I'm not making any money off of it. it the purpose of this is um, people like yourself that you that are out there, you know, that need to hear this message and they need to hear from you and they need to hear about other people and other podcasts and so forth. Uh, this helps them find that YouTube 
when it sees that some people are subscribing and liking, the more you get, the more it actually will present it to others who've never seen it before and say, hey, perhaps you'd like to see this. Other people are saying they like it. And so just want to get that message out to as many as we can. Uh, I just I know there's people out there that probably still um, are isolated and, and don't know. And I know the Lord can direct them here. Uh, perhaps you can be a part of that just by doing something as simple as subscribing or or just sharing the podcast with somebody. I also wanted to mention, uh, last time I did mention something about um, contributing to the podcast. I want to really emphasize that, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do to contribute is to pray for myself and for this podcast and for all those who listen to it. And in that prayer, you know, while you're at it, all the other podcasts and groups out there that are trying to get free, you know, of this religiousness, this uh, institutional traditions of the church and come to Jesus. And so um, I really do appreciate those prayers. They are felt. And so anyway, I think that's good for now. Uh, and until next time we meet. God bless you.